So is he just like a B, like a bad B movie director? Um. Well, yeah. Hey, he did something. He, he didn't direct it. He didn't direct the Polar Express. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, he and he and Nick Cage used to make uh, movies on like his little Super Eight camera. I guess growing up. Where are those? Good question. Where are those? I demand to see them. Um, Special features on like the deluxe Deadfall. <laughs> oh, are you guys gonna Four play disc the Blu-ray pack? Snot song Deadfall as yes. an opening to sure. this? Yeah. Yes, please. <laughs> is 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 that about the movie? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I guess I never realized. Well, should I mean, we I also haven't listened to it in years. Yeah, we we should okay. listen to it after this. To get in the mood. Yeah, yeah. sure, sure. I'll we'll put it on. <laughs> So, um, Heat Seeking Panther, um, Emily is back hey. in in the Panther den. <laughs> is that what we're calling it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah I think oh, that's no. what it's where, called where now. Where do panthers live? Trees. Trees. Dens. In the, dens. In the panther. Dens sounds so much better. Yeah. yeah. You can't say panther <clears throat> tree. No. <laughs> panther tree. Back in the panther den. Panther um, hole. Uh, you'll remember that Emily previously guested on our wild at heart episode Uh-oh. and she's back for a, another really special movie in the Nick Cage canon. I feel like Emily, you picked the two specialist movies that we've watched so far. I think, I think so. <laughs> I think, um, I'm glad to have you here. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, what did I, I was trying to remember cause miles, we watched the three of us watched Deadfall. A couple years ago. Yeah, it was it was probably four or five years ago at this yeah. point. Had we seen it before though, you and I? No, I think that was all of uh, that was our first time watching. I think it. that was our yeah. first time watching as we like found it somewhere. Did I get it from work? We got it from work. And we well, never watched VHS it. and we never watched it. For some reason. I don't yeah. know why it took us so long. And then we all three watched it in the, just a haze of smoke. And I watched it like a bunch of times after that. I watched it like four times in a row after that. Really? Yeah, because like then I had some friends from out of town. Oh yeah, right. I was like, well, we should probably watch this 
And then I just feel like it kept. Yeah. It's super important. And I think if you're going to recommend this movie to somebody, you can't not watch it with them. Yeah. Yeah. They they have to have the experience. It's one of those. Right. But I also feel like if anyone watches it, they should watch this specific VHS copy because of those trailers. Yeah. (laughs) The Death Wish 5 trailer. Um, Free Fall starring Eric Roberts. Yeah. Oh, and then Return of the Living Dead 5, which I can't believe I haven't seen. I I always forget about it. Yeah, I'd like to see more of those movies too. Yeah. (laughs) This is um, for the few of you listening who don't know us personally. Um, Emily and I used to work at an independent video store and uh, we got to keep or steal uh, good VHSs because they were just throwing them away. Throwing them right in the garbage. Why would, why would they throw a copy of Deadfall away? Why, why wouldn't they, they enshrine it on the wall? They were selling them for like 25 cents. Yeah, right? so it was just like... I mean, okay, qu- I mean, I wonder how Did many- this go straight to, to video or was this no, actually this was in, in the theaters? theaters. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you, think, yeah, you want a little background? Really I got, yeah, I I got a little background. The, this, uh, this movie was directed by... Christopher Coppola. And you should look him up. Yeah, he does. He looks amazing. He He's wearing all leather in that, right? From like the kind of like a leather do-rag motorcycle cap. There are multiple photos of him in like motorcycle leather daddy gear. Yeah. And um, yeah, and, and they used to shoot movies growing up. And uh, so. He's his brother. Um, I think we mentioned that. Yeah, and uh, Francis Ford Coppola's nephew. So, uh, so I guess Chris Coppola was like, "Hey, let's do a movie um, again." Like, I have, I wrote this script for uh, a con movie and uh, the ultimate con movie. <laughs> Who's and, conning? Who? And you want to be in it? And because Nick Cage was kind of blowing up, once he said that he wanted to be in it, it suddenly got like some attention from studios. So, Trimark. Um, gave it a 3.4 million budget because <laughs> then because then that other people, much yeah wow because uh fucking who else is in this Charlie Sheen, Peter Fonda, and Mickey Dolenz from the yeah that's right oh monkeys. yeah that's right I forgot that he was in it and then I saw it last night I actually when when he came on screen I had I tried to like most of that time was spent with me trying to wait for him to come back on screen so I <laughs> could like, cl- so that confirm. I could confirm that it indeed was, it was Mickey, Mickey Dolan's. Dolan's. Cause he shows up selling pretzels. <laughs> and then he shows up as like a crony, gangster, like at yeah. one other time later. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but then this, <laughs> this movie was, um, actually in the middle of a legal battle. This is Chris. So Chris Coppola brought the film in, uh, $240,000 under budget which is usually pretty, people are happy about that. But Trimark saw the film <laughs> and were not happy. And they, they wanted scenes added and reshot. And uh, so, so they were like to Chris Coppola. They're like, where did, where did the rest of that money go? Yeah, right. <laughs> they all went into the wig budget. They were like, okay, so um, we, we need you to reshoot some of this. And... Um, they're like, you have the $240,000 surplus, um, just take, take and use that. But uh, Chris Coppola and the executive producer, Ted Fox, were like, no, we're going to need more money. And like that, you know, that's our money, at the surplus. And, and so we're, uh, and so they got into the middle of a legal battle where Trimark actually like put, um, they took out a completion bond on the film because uh, I think initially they were like, they wanted insurance against if the film wasn't going to be completed. Well, and that's, and then this is usually what happens when like a film 
isn't being completed or someone's like running off with the money. And so it's really funny to me that actually the problem was that Chris Coppola did turn in the movie (laughs) 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 and uh, turned it in with, uh, with a surplus. So they got into the middle of a legal battle where, um, uh, Deadfall Productions <laughs> was was uh, trying to uh, they they were fighting against the uh, completion board company and Trimark taking the film away from them and eventually it did get um, taken uh, away like Trimark got some other person to shoot like I don't know the last couple of scenes or something like that so um, yeah it was that this movie caused a lot of trouble for people too and then it made it into theaters. And just fucking sank. Uh, here's a little. Here's a little passage from the unauthorized biography of Nicolas Cage, the man behind Captain Corelli, by Ian Markham Smith and Liz Hodgson. Um, yeah, it was the unusual case because normally the completion bond organization steps in when a film is over budget or running behind schedule. Although neither of these had actually happened because the dispute over financial and additional work, CBC were afraid that the extra scenes would not get done by the agreed upon date. Blah 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 blah. So there were some scenes Trimark wanted to improve the film creatively, and it was their nickel, said CBC lawyer Stephen Fain. Some scenes were missing that needed to be cleaned up. In one, an actor walks over and looks out the window. Normally you would shoot out the window to see what he's looking at, but that wasn't the case. (laughs) This is the first time we've been to court over this particular issue. This film has become quite a tempest in a teapot. We're talking about a pittance, really, since what's required to fix it is three days of shooting, and this isn't gone with the wind. (laughs) Um, so in the end, yeah, a, a judge stepped in and appointed um, j- producer John Hyde, uh, this other dude who usually comes in to like help with uh, films like this. Is he like a film doctor? Yeah, uh, he's, he's a finance and bankruptcy expert, usually called in to advise show business firms facing bankruptcy and to take control of it. And uh, so he did it and all this happened and then it was released in theaters and nobody saw it. And then here's what, the last thing I'll read from this is uh, an excerpt from uh, a critical review, which uh, he's, uh, he describes Eddie, the Eddie character, as a way over-the-top Nicolas Cage, the director's brother, a cokehead given to shades, flashy clothes, and a bad wig. On its posters, Deadfall is all too aptly billed as the ultimate con. <laughs> I feel like I got conned watching this movie. Yeah, there's a lot of whole lot of conning going on. So in some ways, is that does that mean that it like succeeded the best that it could? I maybe it succeeded in conning everyone. Because I mean, apparently it it conned Trimark. Yeah, <laughs> conned the like shit really out of good. Trimark. It really conned the hell out of them. <laughs> it conned viewers into thinking they were going to see an actual film fit for a theatrical release. <laughs> um. And and the whole plot is just cons on cons. It's, cons on cons on cons on cons. It's like in it, a dark, weird world, like warehouse, soundstage, like warehouse, whole, yeah, just marketplace, a, a dark, foggy soundstage. That's a weird. That's kind of a thing about that movie. Is I feel like the setting is never really ever clear. Like you can never figure out where you yeah. are because it's like all the kind of this weirdly the same and there's that marketplace but you don't know what the marketplace is or why anyone is there or how anyone knows each other they're just like oh hi everybody just in the one marketplace in town where everyone always is yeah it's like are they in a city or they're in a car or like 
the other thing is like our room. There's there's barely any like <laughs> external shots that give you like a sense of place. Or it's like just where pe- you are. People walking into dark, foggy rooms. It's very like theatrical and that kind of. I kind of right. like like that about it though. I, I do too. It ex- I think it, it's like it is very like I know that it's supposed to be like a neo noir thing, and I actually do kind of think that it accomplishes it that well in the sense that it kind of feels like they had like. Like, it feels old-fashioned in that kind of way. It's extremely claustrophobic. Yeah. Like, I felt, like, I felt pressured watching the movie. And that, but, like, I feel like that sort of is how it feels when you're watching something, a lot of old movies that are on sort of sound stages like that, is it is really, like, it's really surreal. Right. It it, It feels... The reality is is really, like, heightened. It's really small. Or lowered, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. It, It feels unreal. And I feel like you can accomplish that well, or you can kind of, like... I, d- I think he accomplished it. I don't know if it was well, but it definitely gave me that feel. Like, that's how it felt like a neo-noir to me. Sure. I was like, oh, yeah, this quality is very, like, similar to something that was made, like, in the 40s. Plus, I love the, uh, like, nonstop voiceover yeah. that... Um, <laughs> It, is is the it's the worst kind of voiceover because it doesn't elucidate anything. It doesn't clear anything. It's all just like attitude. And you like, and like who? Why is he telling you this? And where did he go? <laughs> and he's very cheerful about it. Like he's narrating like a coming of age. Still, he's yeah. like, well, then I just figured I'd go see Uncle Lou out west. See, this is an issue that I think almost every aspect of the film suffered from was this this clashing of tones yeah. yeah, where it doesn't seem to make sense certain the like between the soundtrack and like some of the cinematography <laughs> and the characterization like the dots weren't connected. No. It was almost as if there were a bunch of different directors. Well, and then there's these, all these like extreme characters yeah. that are just kind of like, they're like the girlfriend of the dad. Right. Well, ev- like, oh, yeah, the sexy baby I'm a girlfriend. Sexy baby or even Charlie Sheen's character. Right. His ca- I, I know I know that there was a certain plot point that turned on his character, but really ultimately he didn't need to be in that movie. No. His like, character almost added like, It was just like a Charlie Sheen cameo. Yeah, for sure. Like cuz cuz he just led you to that other guy who was the actual person that they were visiting wherever <laughs> right. they went for whatever reason. They didn't I love that there's all these things happening but you never know exactly why or how it really is part of the situation. They're just like, "Well, then I went there to do wrestle it, this guy for something." And then and then whatever Doing was the happening con- Again. Yeah, whatever was happening <laughs> turns out to be a con. Like, yeah. y- it wasn't what you were supposed to think was happening. So it's just like your brain just kind of gives up. And I, okay. He, did he even, like, win the game against Charlie Sheen? Or was it? No, the, like, no, he yeah. wasn't even. He just no, talked he to him for a while and yeah. looked at his coat. And then Charlie Sheen was like, you got to give me $25,000. And he was like, no. And he was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, right, because the guy was like, are you good at pool? He's like, no. He's like, perfect. Okay, so he gives him the watch. Right, because yeah, he's right. like, I don't have the twenty five thousand dollars, but here's this like diamond encrusted watch, oh, yeah. and then he, and then and then the goons lead lead uh, the uh, Michael Bean's character like back to the room with the jeweler with like oh, the, yeah, mad with the, claw. Jeweler, with the claw, the mad jeweler, he's with one the of the best characters, and it was just and that, and then at that I feel like that scene was where everything kind of pivoted, <laughs> and I realized that actually this is. This is supposed to be a like surrealistic fantasy movie. You think yeah. so? Because up until then, I kind of thought it was trying to be more of like a real like straight real shooting, shooting, like yeah. like neo noir. But then with that, from that scene through to the end, 
I think that maybe it just became an entirely different kind of movie. Well, and then he starts to have those flashbacks and stuff, and it gets really like kind of psychedelic there for yeah, a minute. Well, yeah, that dream sequence is really fun. I love that dream sequence. Do, well, I, I think the, the thing is that Christopher Coppola is such a bad director that like talking about like tone, like the tone is ter- is all over the place. The editing is awful. Like everything drags out longer than it should. And like the, it's it'll, like awkward pauses everywhere. It's yeah, pretty much unclear in, what is happening. Sorry. But, but the music like fills in those pauses and the music is kind of like nonstop and stupid. And like they're all the shots are like really, they're kind of like long, they're like medium to long takes just because it seems like he didn't want to edit or set yeah, up, set up more like, like setups. So sometimes there's not even like, there's a couple of times where it's, it's first of all really confusing what's happening in general, just cause they're writing. Yeah. And then also like there are certain shots where it's like, far away there's one of those long shots i remember a right. particular one where i was like what is happening because it's just like one face in the middle and then like two blurry faces like on the side and it's just like really <laughs> or there's like the, what's what's going on here there's like a scene where michael bean is sitting uh in front of a desk and there's like that this globe. like like yeah, paper, globe paperweight that's sitting there and that's you, one of the best shots and you know that christopher coppola is like this is so cool but you have yeah. no context for what that is yeah. and so <laughs> it's just long and confusing yeah i, I think yeah I, <laughs> I, you know, it's funny because so last time we we talked about Red Rock West. Have you seen Red Rock West? No, I still haven't seen it. Someone gave it to me on DVD, but I don't have a DVD player. So, oh. well, you should. I know. Um, I don't know why I don't have one. <laughs> but the 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 hard thing about that for me was that like it was a a noir movie that set out to do exactly what it ended up doing. Like it's it's just incredibly competent and in every way. And it was hard to talk about. And I even complained. I was like, I don't know what to say because when a movie sets out to do what it wants to do and it does it well, it's like, what can you say? But this, now we have like the noir done like so spectacularly wrong that (laughs) the end result is so much more surreal and, and in some ways more interesting. Some people wouldn't agree with that, but like the, the heights of weirdness that this reaches, um, are of just tonal weirdness are pretty pretty special. It's actually, I think, shot for shot, one of the weirdest movies I've ever seen. Because oh, yeah. every single thing that happens, your brain does somersaults trying to figure out. Like you can't actually this you can't actually make sense of what's happening based on the scenes that you've seen before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you try and tie it back to the whatever the story is. It's basically like you were trying to figure that at the end it's like oh this is what was happening all along and then you're going back and trying to figure out how that makes sense (laughs) and you're like wait so what even happened in that right because you're not led to any points in any scene there's nothing kind of talking about we're saying the tone is all over the place but there's no markers for you know like sometimes in a movie when something is important or something will tie into something that will happen there's there's ways that you can draw the viewer's eye to like something that they might need to remember for the future. But in no scene at all does anything like that happen. So it seems just a bunch of disconnected pieces that you yeah. can't make sense of. So what did happen? So what is our hypothesis on what uh, okay. actually fucking happened in this movie? So in, okay. I, I don't really, really actually know. But the, you've seen it like four times, right? Then no. the first scene... M- Michael Bean, who is spectacularly miscast, oh, like God. he's he's so it's he's he's also the only person that acts 
quote unquote well in the movie. <laughs> but, yeah. but he's but, the worst. But it has... doesn't fit at all. <laughs> yeah, it's true. He's he's putting in like a real acting like he's not hammy at all. So but he also it's like he missed the memo or something. He doesn't seem like he's like his character is ever really that perturbed or anything though. No. Like he seems like except for when he's crying about his dad. Yeah, right. I think what it is is maybe he felt like he needed to be the anchor. The anchor yeah. yeah. So he really just leaned into that role in the production and and it didn't help anything. No. His efforts didn't amount to I bet if he had hammed it up more, maybe it would have been, I mean, it still would have been bananas. You but. know what it reminds me of is um, the main actor in Body Double. Oh, God, he is the worst. I love that movie. But Wait, that what man is that guy's is so name? I know, I know exactly horrible. what you're talking about. He's the about. worst person. He, it's like the same kind of performance, though, where like everything is like really heightened and campy. And, then and he, he's like, oh, and he's, just, blah, blah. he's like a little like Boy Scout in the middle of it. Just yeah. like, blah, 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 blah. it's so it makes for a really bizarre quality when somebody does that. Well, and also like um, Michael Bean never really fails in anything he does in this movie. Like there's no tension of like. I mean, he shoots his dad, on which I'm still a little confused about. But like, yeah. Uh, so that's what I'm. Okay, saying. so let's try to go and. So yeah, so he, he he and that gangster who he's with, that like really over the top gangster with like the chains, who like he tastes the coke and he's like, mm, I'm seeing angels. Oh, yeah. Handfuls of coke though. Yeah. You can't. That's that's not how that works when you take a taste of it, right? You can't just scoop it out and shove it in your mouth. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I mean, his fingers were like white, <laughs> like powdered sugar. Yeah, he was like. Yeah, he was like. He was like sucking his fingers. Um, so he's with that guy, and it, I think he, he was supposed to be setting up that gangster. He's setting up that guy, and, and with his dad, with Pop, with Pop, to make it look like he kills his dad, right? For some reason, because his dad needs that was everyone part of the con. Think he's dead because that's the con. So they'll run away, and then they get to keep the coke and the money or something. I, I guess so. And then sure, and okay, but, he, that, yeah. but the bullets. Someone put real bullets in the gun. Yeah, and so he he kills his dad, and his dad says, "Get the cake," um, to him, and he and uh, he goes to the funeral, and the guy gives him the the bus the the key to the locker at the bus terminal. Oh. Also, all the goons in this movie are so like they're all just like. Small, kind of skinny, balding, like middle-aged men <laughs> that, wearing like black muscle tees and like Mickey shades. Dolan. Well, Peter Fonda is a—he's uh, one of the goons. That's too. true. Yeah. Plus Peter Fonda and Mickey Dolan. I don't even understand how he. But we have to keep going. In All order. right. So, uh, so he gets the key, and then what does he get in, in the locker in the bus terminal? I don't remember. Yeah, I, I don't, don't actually either. remember. No one that remembers because it's not important. It's so. I feel like you don't even. I don't even like. I didn't even register that that happened. Okay, and so he ends it's up... It's probably really unclear where he is and what he's doing in that scene, Just sure. shadows stopping like five remember. feet from the corner of That's any That's how room. I'm remembering it right now. <laughs> I'm seeing like footsteps on like some tiles or something. Yeah, just a black screen with like little spots of light <laughs> on like the side of someone's head. <laughs> well, he ends up go- going and meeting his dad's brother, who is uh, his twin. And who's that actor? Because he's also amazing. Yeah, this. he rules. Um, and and meeting Eddie, his dad's brother's just henchman, who is Nick Cage. Um, so remember when he? I love how he approaches him in that like cafe when he first yeah. meets him. And he, what does he say to him? I I, I don't. Did remember. I not write that down? Fuck. He. It, 
uh, I remember the <laughs> I remember the woman behind the counter says, "Would you like a maple spiral donut to go with your coffee? They're heavenly." <laughs> I wrote that down. Oh, for he's some in reason. the cafe. He's in the uh, marketplace. Right. Ooh. I'm looking for Lou. <laughs> the ominous marketplace. What where is this weird goes universe down? where there's just a bunch of like con men, goons, like hench like henchmen that just kind of all like know each other and hang out like socially in the same place? Yo, the best scene like that is when he goes to the pool hall and yeah. everybody at the yeah. table is wearing like a like a flashy suit yeah. and like um, and also knowing that that pool hall was probably in like Culver City or something just makes it extra funny. Well, you see, they go to Circus Liquors. Yeah, you're yeah. That? I was gonna say Circus Liquor. Thank you. Uh, um, Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I we haven't said anything really about Nick Cage's look or performance um, well, in general. I, he looks like fucking Tony Clifton. He really does. Um, <laughs> that's exactly, that's what, exactly I thought what he looks like. I saw it. That was exactly the same thing that I thought. Like, I mean, okay, alternate theory. Nick Cage is actually Andy Kaufman playing his greatest role. <laughs> <laughs> and this was just his, his, uh, <laughs> this was his message to fans. It's like hint to fans that he's still out there. Uh, so he is amazing. He's he's got like this. He's all orange and tan, and he's got this prosthetic nose. And he wasn't he wearing like some weird contacts? Maybe they, uh, there was like a trivia about it. Like basically, he showed up like that. Like really with the they, mustache and everything. Yeah, they told him to dress how he wanted to dress. Yeah, so that he was just showed up like as that guy, and then just was like, "This is wow. the guy I'm gonna. This is how this guy's gonna." That be. was his stipulation to yeah. his brother for being in it was that he could do whatever he wanted. I feel like it's just Nick <laughs> I love Cage's that. fucking stipulation for every <laughs> any, single any movie. He's, in. he's like, "If you you gotta let me do whatever I want, yeah. or I'm not gonna be in the movie." Yeah, that you you get what you get. It really pays off, I'd say. I I mean it really it's the whole reason that um we made this podcast essentially <laughs> is because and the reason that everyone else also made this podcast. Yeah, everyone else <laughs> cuz he's the greatest actor of all time. Yeah. Um so he meets that guy. Okay. Um, and then, like, I don't really fully understand what Eddie's role even is. Yeah. Really. Yeah, he seems like, like a he huge just liability. He comes in there like a whirlwind <laughs> for a minute. Is he just to introduce that chick to him? Um, well, he, I know he does introduce that because, well, he's running with that chick. And that scene where they go to Family her house fun time. and he has the, the flowers and he gives it to her and he's like kicking the dirt and yeah. like all acting shy for some reason. <laughs> like every line reading that he does, it seems like he's just like, well, what if I did it this way? Because he, he just knows? goes like when they do the bracelet con. Oh, anyway, they meet Eddie and then they start doing cons together. Right. right? And then yeah. they go to the they bar doing and they do. <laughs> that, that's just what you do. Because well, it seems like you're just like, hey, want to go do some cons? That's literally what they did they're like hey let's go out to the bars but first let's stop and do a con yeah, let's do a con and then and then we'll they just do get like on with the cons night. on the way to the bar yeah. and Yo. then they do a con at the bar yeah, it's like they're just going con. out for drinks and he just starts crying when nicholas cage it comes out and he's just like he does that thing where he bursts into yeah. tears randomly i love what a fucking insane maniac he's oh, that yeah. fucking eddie is that he's like not even a person that can like be in public like he's a completely insane person well and that scene's great because eddie is acting in yeah. that in that scene so you have nick cage acting way over the top as a character who's acting he's way acting, over the top yeah i love that <laughs> and the con is for like 300 bucks too it's so elaborate yeah. 
that like I mean and it, really it all could have easily been thwarted if she had just called to check the phone number first yeah <laughs> right right like yeah. it's like it's not even anything complicated no. he just gave her a like disconnected number no I and I it, like how it didn't take her it took her like one try before she offered that guy money for it she was like, that's my bracelet. And he was like, no, it's not. And she was like, okay, um, I'll give you money. Whatever you want. <laughs> Another person is the baby, the gangster yeah. who uh, Michael Bean, um, put, he cons uh, Nick Cage by um, just like the con is just that he talks to the baby and he's like, hey, we we're going to shake hands and I'm instead of you giving me this money, I'm just going to give the money to it. And he knows that that's going to pay off, which he just spent what did he I love, dollars. My yeah. favorite that, part too con. is that already he's like so blase of a character the whole time. And then he, you don't even really see him meet with the baby. No. You see him like shake hands with him and then you see him at the end and you're like, I guess he talked to that guy or something. Right. I don't know what he but did, he, but I guess he's just so smooth, but we didn't see it, but I swear it happened. No, his character is not charismatic at all no. in no. any way. <laughs> he's the flattest. I, like how, how is he a professional con man? He'd yeah. be the worst con man ever. I know, it, it, like just he's so like him, weird and deadpan and like like him smooth talking the baby. He's like, "Hi, how are you doing?" Um, so <laughs> if, if you just want to give me uh, here, we're we're just gonna shake hands and um, your debt is gonna be paid off. And that which is like, it's so aggressively boring. Yeah, it's like you can't you can't even like thrill in the idea that he just like pulled a great con. It's just like who I gotta cares? say that fucking baby scene in that strip club is fucking amazing. That scene rules, and the song that's in it, like I almost like want to look up that scene because it's so fucking good. And all those strippers are so crazy and like oh. so. Two things about that scene: number one. Another club scene. I was going to say. Another crazy club scene in a Nick Cage movie, yeah. too. Emily, the last time you guessed it on this show was the last Nick Cage movie With in which we saw a heavy scene. metal club scene. Oh, my God. Yeah. Specifically a metal club <laughs> yeah. scene. Yeah. Well, Those are always, they always make for good scenes. Since Wild at Heart, I don't think we had movies with any good club scenes. And we, we had like a run of like five or six. I know. Until then. Like, um, yeah, I was happy to see that back. Dude, that have those those he's songs like, in the, the oh my god, are so but just good. and everything that he's doing is so fucking ridiculous. And does that when he's like, what is he saying? He's like, that's when he starts talking about Sam Peckinpah. Yeah, and then he's like, what is he sent you? What is Sam he, fucking Peckinpah? Peckinpah. What he? But he's already yelling Sam Peckinpah when he's <laughs> okay. Okay, this part. This is what I'm talking about. So Eddie's at the bar. Right. He's yelling about Sam Peckinpah and fondling that woman's tits. Right. Peter Fonda is there. Right. Because Peter Fonda followed him there. So Peter enter Peter Fonda is like a suave cowboy hitman who is now following Nicolas Cage for some reason. So he follows that lady's tits. He comes out and then Peter Fonda tries to kill him, so he stabs him in the leg and then slams his head in the fucking car door like yeah. four times. And then that's when he says, Who sent you? Yeah. Sam fucking Peckinpah. Right. And uh, and then what does he say before he slits his throat? Oh boy, he says something really funny. I should have written down all I know. of the quotes. I'm such a doofus. I, um, I remember then he goes back into the club and goes, "Fuck, I fucking yeah!" yeah. And he heard the dude bumps him on the way out, and he overreacts so much. Like the guy brushes past me, he's like, "Sorry, man," and then he grabs him and like 
throws him against the wall and then karate chops him onto the floor. Yo. Theory. Uh, wait, okay, first, <laughs> I did I did write down what um, Peter Fonda says to him. Oh. He says, Mr. Rock and Roll, let's wiggle and dance. First you turn blue, then you shit in your pants. Yeah. <laughs> and then he strangles him. Uh, so, like, yeah, you have no idea why Peter Fonda's there or why he No, who, who did send him? him? Who did? No, like, what? It's still not explained. And it's if it is, explained. it's not coherent it's enough not for clear. us. To- I think that Chris Coppola knew what it was, but I think he just forgot to tell everybody. Yeah. Well, maybe that was it, one that of those That movie reshoots. reeks of that. Like, you, yeah. someone, there, someone has a very clear story in their mind, but they just did a really bad job of actually telling you what it was. Yeah, they don't well, know how to communicate. Going back to what you said about the character looking out the window and them not doing the insert shot, maybe it was one of those things. Right. Yeah. There, there was, like, Christopher Coppola knew why, but just decided it wasn't worth his time yeah. to like make to film totally. that scene. I mean, you have to like take it on the same, like just thinking about it as like an extension of just doing home movies with your friends, like just puts it in. You're like, I start to just judge it as like, well, you know, he's judging, he's juggling a lot. He wrote the story. That's that takes That's the a thing lot with of time. That tour is, you know, Wait, so what, what's, what's your theory? Oh, no, I was just saying like, so I just realized when we were talking about him yelling like, fuck, <laughs> I feel like he's almost kind of got like a Frank vibe to him. And I feel like Frank might have, Frank Booth might have influenced him for sure. Yeah. Because he's like an extreme, extreme, extreme Frank Booth, but it like has that same kind of like, cause Frank is totally fucking insane like that too. And he like starts crying dude, and then he's like, I fucking love fucking fucks. Yeah. Okay. Continuing that theory, we just saw him in Red Rock West with, with Dennis, Dennis Hopper. Hopper, and Red Rock West was the first role that we've seen where Nicolas Cage kind of acted like a normal person, like he doesn't steal the scenes in any way. I feel like this movie was like his like pressure foul. Yeah. <laughs> like, like he acted with Dennis Hopper and let Dennis Hopper be the crazy one in a movie, and he was like, I have to be doubly crazy in whatever I do next. You probably have to let Dennis Hopper be the crazy one. He's yeah. scary. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, well, and, and, he was scary. He was a scary person. Right, yes. <laughs> We mentioned this on the, on the last episode that you can't out Hopper Dennis Hopper. Right. Oh no. Yeah. No. What what was what would have happened? It would have been just a bunch of. You just don't fuck with Dennis Hopper like that. Nah. And Nicholas, you know, you know that. And <laughs> so um, that leads us to uh, Nick Cage freaking out in the bedroom. What's the matter? Like, who's trying to kill you? Hangers. <laughs> This is like the free when people put together compilations of Nick Cage freaking out. Like this is this is. Vampire's Kiss and The Wicker Man are the ones that uh, that always make the cut, mm-hmm. and with good fucking reason. Like he like humps the bed. Yeah. He like he says "Viva la fucking France, man!" Like and it's unclear. He just is like. He's screaming in the like chain of consciousness. Like you can't really like. I still don't really know what he's freaking out about. Well, someone's trying to kill him. Oh, right. And again, not clear. Yeah, but, yeah. but I don't know why. <laughs> well, the, the cool thing, I watching this again, um, all of Nick Cage's dialogue, if I separated it from his uh, delivery, it kind of fit into what like the dialogue that Christopher Coppola was writing for everybody, which is not good. So and, it, and it's he- still kind of insane. But like... It, there are a lot of line readings that like don't need to be crazy, but he just like gives them just the weirdest inflection. So his character 
His his one trait is just that he's fucking out of his mind. Because I was under the impression that a lot of what he was doing was ad-libbed, but do you think that it was actually scripted? I think a good part of it was, but but there are things like high fucking yacht. Like, I don't or know. Like, like honestly, who, Viva La France. Like, yeah. I can't Viva imagine La that was a France, line man. in the script. Yeah, I... I the whole Sam Peckinpah thing, I could maybe see that that it was something that was written. That's like a that's like a cool right. That's a line, but like right, Viva yeah. La France, there's no fucking way that was in the script. Yeah. <laughs> um, I fucking yeah. And I mean, it, it all culminates too in a fucking great death. Like his character dies in an amazing way. So okay, so <laughs> but he go he has that freak out right. And then the girlfriend is like, I'm going to kill you. And then hold on, hold, he I'm, leaves. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. Why was the cigar in the ashtray in the girlfriend's hotel room? Was that Michael Bean's cigar? No, no, no. Okay. This is what happens. She has the cigar because I think it makes sense in the end when we get there. Okay. The, the reason that Nicholas Cage freaks out at her and the thing that starts the whole freak out is he's the cigars in the ashtray and he thinks it's the uncle. But it wasn't. It was actually Michael Bean's father's cigar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, is that not what you were going to say? No, maybe. Maybe because. Because the father is pretending to be the uncle, right? No. No, because no. the father was pretending to be dead to, for the ultimate for the, con the, of killing his son. But I still don't care. See, again, none of us actually know what the fuck happened. <laughs> but he's conning him. So Diane, okay, all right. Okay, Diane. in the beginning, he sees Diane. Ever so charismatic. Femme fatale. So he sees her in the outfit at the graveyard, and then he has the locket with his mom's picture in right. it. Oh, and then yeah. she kind of looks like, she's the dressing like the mom is part of the thing. She's dressing like the mom yeah. in the black, right? And then in the one outfit that his mom wore, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually his mom's outfit, um, right? So that's a whole thing. Then she, there's the cigar, and then he's like. You're sleeping with Lou, and then he freaks out. Then she kicks right. him out. But it's not Lou; it's Pop. It's because she yeah. is sleeping with. I think she Pop. is. Yeah, and then she sleeps with the son too. Right, and then he thinks he's in love with her because they've known each other for five days. Yeah, and they have a whole lot of chemistry. Hey, do you remember? Like the I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt, Go. Dave, but that sex scene is the least sexy oh sex God. scene I've ever seen. I love that sex scene. <laughs> it's so, so Skinamax. The whole thing is lit through a horizontal blinds like and the camera angles it's like it's like he tried to pick the angles that were the least flattering so awkward yeah this is also a return to full frontal nudity or maybe not full frontal but tits there are tits in this movie tits and club scenes i Nick feel Cage like sticking his face and the dollar bill in yeah. between in between the stripper do you remember i wrote this quote down without the context just i think i was laughing too hard but there's she Diane says something to Michael Bean's character and he responds. He goes, I'm not sure I can get ready for you. <laughs> God, he's so boring. He's the worst. His character is the most boring. And I love, there's, uh, there's another, his reactions are really funny. Like, there's another part. I can't remember what he said. Someone says something about like the con. The, okay, that con. And then the new con, which is the exact 
same con as the con that killed his father. It is. Yeah. It's the exact same con. Like how, how and he's like, you? I know I shouldn't have said yes to doing this con, <laughs> but something just told me I should just do the con anyway. You're an expert like in cons, <laughs> bro. You're getting conned. You know, it's like sometimes someone asks you to do a con and you're like, okay, it is this very same con that killed my one father that I loved so yeah, much. That led to all of this happening. All but of this like strange trouble. Is that trouble? Or it seems kind of fine for him. Yeah, this fine. seems like par for the course. He's I don't like, know, hey, man. Hey. The psychological like effects of thinking you killed your father and then finding out that he was just con- he's still alive and he just conned you. I think that probably takes Why a toll on you. Con him. What did he get out of that? He Money? just the Money? satisfaction of conning his own son. <laughs> what if that was it? It's the ultimate con. Father cons son. Yo, I'm just thinking about that pan, the pan to uh, pop with the cigar, and he goes, "Hey Joe, what do you know?" <laughs> and his heart breaks. Um, he again doesn't seem too upset about it. No, he's like, ah, okay, con, okay. Another again. part that I think is really funny is when he's. <laughs> There's also this whole underlying thing where he's suspicious of Uncle Lou the whole time, but like it's also pretty unclear why or what he's doing when right. he goes through his stuff. And there's like I love that there's like a ticket to Tahiti, which is such a cute little cliche. And it's oh, he's like, oh, that. he's got a ticket to Tahiti. He's up to something. He even says that. He's like, he's up to something. <laughs> do do do. And then he just is like suspicious of him, but it's very unclear why or what he's actually doing. Dude. Um, I- I did, I just okay. Nick Cage dies in a deep fryer. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I had to get there. Oh yeah, he his head gets stuck in a deep fryer and gets deep fried because he kidnaps the uncle and takes him to a fast food restaurant and ties him up. No, I think he took him to like a carnival or a fair, and it was like <laughs> oh. he took him to a it was, fair. I don't know. It was <laughs> just because <laughs> like it looked like it was the it, abandoned amusement park. Yeah, it looked like they were in a tent or something. Right. Well, yeah. The the space of whatever it must just be the market. It's just the market. oh, they're back. Oh, to the, you're right. The sinister it's market. Just the market. It oh just God. must be one of the fast food places in the marketplace. They're just it, they're just wandering. And he took through. it to the right straight to the deep fryer and turned it on for some reason. Yeah, yeah. I guess he, he was gonna fry him. No, because no, remember he was like, "Oh, you want to see a fucking hot head?" And then, <gasps> and then he turns and then he turns the deep fryer on. So that was yeah. his like punny torture based on hot head. Based that. based on him calling him a hot head. Reminds me of one of. Your and I's favorite movie, Blood Diner, yeah. um, where uh, a woman gets her head deep fried, yeah. um, but not. But she comes out of the deep fryer and her head looks like a giant ball of. It of looks dough. like a big popcorn ball. Or yeah, um, Nick Cage didn't look too good. He just looked like wet and sticky and hot. Um, <laughs> oh, and he's wearing a wig and he pulls the wig off. Oh, he pulls off. the wig off, yeah. And it's like really weird. Yeah, my friend walked in while I was watching that scene and he's like, oh my God, what? I, he just pulled his hair off. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's funny because from the first time that he's on on screen, you're thinking, God, what a terrible wig. Why would they put right. him in this wig? And then that's the payoff they because it actually it was a wig. A wig. Yeah. But you don't know why. Right. Yeah. <laughs> It, the rest of his history is like, who he was in relation to anyone is very unclear. But now he's dead, and we will never speak of him again. Yeah, why is his wardrobe that way? Why does he talk that way? Why is he just? What is his relationship with these people? What's why his is his skin deal? like seven shades of a of a tanning booth? <laughs> and it, it looks like it's all prosthetic too, but it's kind of unclear. Like what? <laughs> 
All right. And then when he tells the girl about it, she's like, oh, oh no. Yeah, right. And she's like, oh, he's dead. <laughs> and, and, and this all leads us to Dr. Lime? Dr. Lime? The jeweler guy with the claw. I don't okay, know his name. So Dr. here's Lime. the start of another the con. The mad jeweler. This is the beginning of the con that is the exact same con as the con with his dad. And so this is <laughs> right. the lean up to it is that for some, because they killed, because Eddie's dead. Right. The uncle has to pretend to be dead now. Okay. For some reason. So now he has to kill the uncle. So he has to go to that. Oh, uh, so he's, con- he's conning Dr. Lime and to get to him, he has to meet Charlie Sheen. Yeah. And play a game of pool with him and where Charlie Sheen just like says, okay, all of Charlie Sheen's lines in this are so ridiculous. This is one of the rare occasions where one plus one equals one. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. And he's talking about like uh, Mark Twain. Mark Twain. Yes. Lunch. And they're all a bunch of like, he feel, it does feel like some horrible, like creepy pseudo intellectual guys, like just talking at you. Honestly, I think Sheen was probably the only appropriately cast actor in this. Whole yeah, movie. Th- yeah. This is kind of the most perfect role for him. <laughs> like he, he looked completely in place. With his like devil goatee and like his like purple robe and his, like or like the like purple smoking jacket that yeah. he was wearing, his, his like coke nail and <laughs> um, and they're playing they're playing not they're playing billiards yeah. too yeah with like like racking up the the scores on these like strings hanging with numbers and stuff like yeah. I didn't I I had no idea it's because you're not a gentleman on. Dave. <laughs> Billiards is a gentleman's game. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, that is my problem. <laughs> well, I wrote down... Uh, uh, um, so he, the, the thing with Dr. Lime ends in... I, my notes get really scattered here. I wrote the ultimate well, I con. I think the movie gets really scattered. I wrote the con as art <laughs> because the way that the dad's explaining it at the end, it sounds like someone talking about like a Rothko a painting or something. Yeah, and like the all the con. like, it's just all I love the ways. that. That should be the title of this. Wait, and his his mom <laughs> the con as the art. con as art. His mom died in a con. I wrote that down. Yeah, but okay, and the, oh God, there's so many stupid so many details questions. in this movie. Okay. That's another thing that he finds when he's looking through his stuff. And he's like, then I found a photo of my father and Lou and my mother in the middle. Right. Normally it was ripped in half. And like he explains that all cheerfully in the narration. And then you're like, oh, okay. But he never says my mother is dead or what happened to my mother. Or he just says, did my mother have something to do with this? What's this? Like, what do you mean by that? Yeah, and then, okay, okay. Again, another scene that didn't also, get shot. Also, you guys, the cake. Okay, the cake. <laughs> yeah, the We need cake. to talk about the cake because I feel like in the, the cake beginning- is just a MacGuffin, The though, cake's right? really no, yeah. important and they're like, ooh, the cake. I got to get the cake. And then he's like, here's the cake. And it's like a ceramic cake or something. Yeah, with like a, a ring in it or something. And then, yeah, like what actually is its significance? No, no. Yeah, it's a MacGuffin. The, the only, yeah, right. The only significance of the cake is the dad had to get away- the dad needed a way for Michael Bean's character to get to the uncle. Yeah. So he yeah. so he told him to go find the cake. So uh-huh. he knew that that's how he'd get in touch with the uncle. And yet there's another scene with another cake where the sexy baby girlfriend brings yes. brings him a cake with little <laughs> horses on it. 
And Lou is like, there, this is like a minute of Lou being like, no, no, no. Oh, don't, don't, I don't. No, 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 you shouldn't. I don't, I don't want a cake. No. And they already made a big deal about the cake. And so you're like, is this the cake? But it's not. They just. You're like, is the cake going to poison him or something? They just eat it and it's never spoken of again. And And she never shows up again. And also not really much happens in that scene at all, except for that. He introduced that girlfriend character and then you never see her again. No. And 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 it's just like, oh, I got to go there for Uncle Lou's birthday. Like something important (laughs) is going to happen. But you just watch that scene happen with the cake and then it ends. God damn it. thing about this movie is it's like you're always kind of bummed out when Nicolas Cage dies because you're like oh man but then the rest of the movie continues to get more insane like it's like that's kind of its tipping off point where it's like doop 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 but then from there on out it just gets crazier I know it gets super surreal yeah like the air kind of like starts to slowly go out of it because like the scenes get like really darker and and like like actually draggier yeah and they're like going into like because then it's fully soundstage there's not even any more car scenes after that like then they are inside the world just yeah in this like foggy endless warehouse world and uh and it all ends in that amazing noir trope the shootout on a carousel that's like the worst shootout. It's not even a shootout. He just like shoots the okay. dude. Yeah, the, okay. okay. Here's the thing with the carousel and the the scene with Peter Fonda where he slams his head in the door yeah. and the sex scene and the and the and the the first shootout as well at the beginning of the movie. And the thing that I realized, all these sequences are I think Christopher Coppola is just bad at making montages because there's not like a single sequence in this film where anything hangs together in a way that... The passage of time is very Exactly. It's like all the shots are confusing. They don't give you a sense of the action. The music doesn't match what's happening on screen. (laughs) No, that's true. True. Wait, you guys, I just had another super stoner theory. Okay. It's definitely not what the movie's actually about at Let's all. Hear it. But Let's... I still like the theory. What if it's like a fight club situation? Like, what if Nicolas Cage Michael and, Bean and Michael Bean are, the are actually person. the same person? And then when he kills Nicolas Cage in the deep fryer, that he like is killing himself. So then he goes into this like weird sub so dream dead. world. And that's why and that's why he keeps having all those dreams and flashbacks about killing his father. Yeah. And then the con starts and it's yeah, like and repeating dad, the same con. Yeah, it's just nonsensical cons on cons because that was his life. And he's trying to make sense <laughs> yeah. of it in his last dying moments. So as he's retreating further and further into his into his own mind yeah, yeah. and that's uh, like because he comes up like because Nicolas Cage comes up like after he's all freaked out because his dad died and he's like having that like he's like drinking and crying and he's like oh and like chasing that mu- like woman that looks like his mother and right. then he goes there and then that's when Nicolas Cage shows up and is like so fucking extreme to his like very plain like yeah it, it, it's kind of the only theory that makes sense <laughs> it's the only theory <laughs> Um, and so at the end, he walks away from all the cash, just like Red Rock West. Just he didn't take the money. He and didn't run. take any money, and he didn't run. He just ambled away. Um, Where did he go? We don't know. Where is he narrating from? What happened to him? He went to the afterlife. <laughs> his um, the money was his last tie to the uh, to the material world, and um, <laughs> after he had. Followed his Oedipal like last like Oedipal twinge and killed his father for real. 
he could he could re- leave, you know. Yeah. He could leave the earthly plane. Yeah. What, is there anything else to say? I mean, we just... We, I feel like the we, only way to just... You had to just describe the whole movie. Yeah, that was kind of the only way to do it. Otherwise, you wouldn't really know what we were even talking about. Because it's just a bunch of shit happening. In a, I mean, honestly, I feel like there's always more to say about this movie. Yeah. Like, I mean, I know we're on a time limit because people aren't going to listen to four hours of this podcast, but like, I feel like we probably could keep talking about it. I mean, we can add some more stuff in. There's definitely lots of choice quotes. I mean, fun time, family fun. (laughs) Who says that? Uh, Nick Cage. Oh. Oh, yeah. So I think that probably Christopher Coppola covers, hits upon every single like bad hustler con man cliche in this movie with at least one of the characters, right? These are the movies that Christopher Coppola has directed. A lot. Okay. So this is like Dracula's a- Widow from 1988. Gun- Deadfall. Deadfall. Um, Gunfight at Red Dog Corral. America's Most Wanted. America Fights Back. He, wait, he directed an episode of America's Most Wanted? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, duh. I mean, look at him. Oh shit. And he directed an episode of bone chillers, which I don't know if you guys remember, but that was basically a goosebumps knockoff, um, that they then made a TV show knockoff of the goosebumps TV show. That's what it is. Yes. Five episodes. Yeah. It makes sense. The journey of Alan strange clockmaker. He made a T he directed a (laughs) TV movie called clockmaker, but he was uncredited. So it's all, (laughs) I love how it's called Timekeeper in the uh, in the thumbnail, but then it's called Clockmaker. Three kids discover a time machine in the apartment of the weird old man living upstairs and must go back in time after disrupting the time-space continuum by sending a computer repair, <laughs> uh, repair manual back to the 19th century. <laughs> That's the Wait, synopsis of that. Sent- a computer repair manual. Back to the 19th century. Uh, so? <laughs> they wouldn't know what to do with it in the yeah, 19th century. That's going to be like nonsense then. They'll just be think it's the devil and burn it. Yeah, it was just or just like, I don't know, wipe their ass or stuff their bed with it and die at 30. Look, okay, this user review, one star. Erg, clockmaker. More like crap maker. This is truly awful. Wait, wait. <laughs> Since we're going into this world, I have prepared. I I told you last week that I was going to um, have some notes on uh, the piece that Nicolas Cage wrote in Details Magazine. Yeah, you found it. Yeah, I found it. And instead of just taking notes, I figured that we could just read some of it. We this can just be part one of reading on the road with Nicolas Cage. So, so con- <laughs> the c- context, <laughs> the context being um, that uh, before Nick Cage made this movie and Red Rock West and uh, Honeymoon in Vegas, I think he he went on a uh, a road trip and took a made a diary as he went, and um, so Nicholas Cage on the road with Nicholas Cage, nineteen ninety two, part one. I've been in one place too long. I'm just sitting here in Los Angeles getting soft, 27 years old, balding, and without a shred of inspiration. My representatives tell me to stay in town so that I can meet people for jobs. I've been doing that for a year, petting my cat, thinking about exercise, never reading a good script. 
I haven't even had a decent dream in months. I keep flashing on Easy Rider, the movie that made me go and buy a motorcycle. I keep thinking about Kerouac's On the Road. That book made me want to discover America. I keep humming the Beatles, why don't we do it in the road? That song made me once have sex in the center of La Brea and Melrose. Wait, is that a true story? I'm sorry to interrupt. <laughs> no, please interrupt. Like on the pavement. He said, he said in the center <laughs> of the intersection. Melrose. That's a that's, that's a, a busy that's a, intersection. Right there. A, I know. That's a highly populated intersection. How did he that get away right with by that? Pinks? Yeah. I don't think so. All of all of these references. <laughs> I love how like I, I don't buy it. I love how it must have been like to four o'clock in the morning. I love how like deep teenage boy like those references are like ooh easy rider yeah. and fucking on the road. I like, had sex in the middle. It's like, dude, are the you center of the intersection? Are you twelve years sex. old? It's like, uh, my parents don't understand me. I'm uh, gonna buy a motorcycle and read on the road. Oh shit! Wait, here it culminates. The road compels me to escape to listen to Leonard Skinner's Freebird and fly. New people, adventure. Change. I've never driven cross country before, and I could die without ever doing it. I really wish his voice was reading this right now. It's time to go. Yeah, I'm sorry. I can't. I can't do a <laughs> good okay. impression. I just, you know, I I do too. <laughs> it's uh, nothing personal. On the road with Nicolas Cage, Los Angeles, 10:30 a.m. Jeff Levine showed up at my house in a white Ford Taurus. Jeff's about 36, part dog, part bank robber, part 15 year old man. <laughs> Good old Jeff Levine. 15-year-old <laughs> man. We'd traveled together before, and I knew he'd be into going. The tor- Taurus, that's misspelled, reminded me of a pack of cigarettes I was smoking the night before. <laughs> Death cigarettes. They had a skull and crossbones on a black package that read, if you don't smoke, don't start. If you do smoke, quit. I, threw, I saw the car, and I threw the pack away. It didn't do any good. The transmission blew out on the harbor freeway. We were still comfortably within the 213 area code when we slit the car's wimpy throat. I got out. Jeff hit the yellow call box. I noticed a bed of poppies, and I looked totally out of place in all the concrete. Suddenly, a Led Zeppelin song (laughs) came into my head. Alimony, alimony pays the rent. I saw Jeff on the phone gesticulating, threatening to murder. Maybe the tow truck could hurry if we were bleeding, he said. I walked out to the poppies. I was dressed in my black jeans, black cowboy boots, and black t-shirt. And Jeff in his green army flak jacket, diligently smoking his cigarettes, was clearly knit in the military. (laughs) (laughs) Clear, clear. Knit in the military? Did did details not have, like, an editor? Um, Maybe the tow truck... Maybe he didn't want there to be an editor. Yeah, it's just... He was like, I won't do it unless you don't edit it. Yeah, it's got to come straight (laughs) from my pen. It's got to be straight from my heart through my pen. Would I have stopped to help us? A vulture flew overhead. The tow truck... Are they in the desert? Yeah. (laughs) They're just on the one They're just on the <laughs> <laughs> They're like just north of Highland Park. They're really in Highland Park. <laughs> He's just standing, like staring out into the middle distance, like, <laughs> what is America? <laughs> a vulture flew overhead. The tow truck came. From the front seat, I spotted a sign advertising truffles liquor. The girl on the poster was chocolate personified. I like her face. Uh, next paragraph. <laughs> chocolate personified. <laughs> 
Jeff told me he was once driving on the back road in Florida in the early 70s when he saw a guy in a van hit something and slice it completely in half. Mansoor, the truck driver, said he saw as many as 15 accidents a day. All the blood, it kind of makes you sick. There was once a mother in a station wagon with an eight-year-old daughter. She hit a pickup and died of internal bleeding. The daughter was alive. She was shaking and crying. She didn't have any father either. Yeah, it kind of makes you sick. I thanked Mansoor for the lift back to the car rental place. Oh, so they're back in L.A. now. (laughs) (laughs) There was like a 20-minute drive. And Jeff came around in a gold Lincoln Town car. He said the damn car felt like a yacht. We pulled out and hit the road again. All right. So they're they're on the road now in in the real world. This is on the road part three. They're in like West Covina now. They're 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 in Cabazon. It looks like we're headed into rain. The clouds are gray and silver, casting a gloomy light onto the palm trees. When I woke up this morning, my girlfriend Christina told me she had a dream. We were standing on the top of a skyscraper, and we touched a cloud together, a gray cloud. I asked her how it felt. She was quiet for a moment and said, it stung. I miss my son. I'm listening to Super Freak by Rick James as we drive past a field of white windmills, twirling to the beat. The song automatically brings me back to the frustration I felt in high school. Whenever I hear it, I get a warm knot in my throat and I think about all the rejections I got from girls when I asked them to dances. Oh, God, he's so fucking angsty. I know. Dude, get over yourself. He's 27 27 years old. 27, bro. I'm saying bro a lot today. It's just that kind of day. (laughs) This is an important point. Had the girls in high school not minded that I didn't have a car and could only take the bus, had Suzanne not left me standing at the prom with vomit on my shoes to take a limo with another guy to a hotel room, I might not have turned into a flagrant commitment phobe that I am. I don't know if that's Uh, your... I I don't know if that's definitely Definitely those women's fault. Yeah, it's their fault. The family man needs to be encouraged. The family man! Dude, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, mark my words, somehow when we're at the end of this fucking podcast, we're going to find out that the key, guys, can I be the on key the to Nicolas Cage episode? is like somehow in the family man. Yeah. that it The all, family man is the fucking like key to Cage's career in it, some way. Yeah. I don't, we don't know yet, but I, we'll find out. Yes. Can I be on that? Can yeah. We, Dude. Can we watch it? Dude, we have dude, we have so many people already requesting to be on that episode. It could just be a big grip episode. That's fine. I'm totally fine with that. I feel like we're building up to it. I don't know why I'm so excited. Yeah, for some reason, I find like people ask me, like, I they're like, "Hey, have you done the Family Man yet? Can I do that movie?" (laughs) Like, I feel like for some reason, and I didn't realize until we started this podcast that a lot of people, for some reason, have. A connection to that movie. It's insane. The thing is, like, I don't even really remember it that well, but the idea of it just, like, delights me. The family man needs to be encouraged. He needs you to tell him he can be a wild condor of thought and expression as well as a nobile father and husband. I think he meant noble. Nobile. Nobile. Nubile. No editing. Nubile. <laughs> a nubile father. <laughs> just because he paints cheating or writes cheating or photographs cheating doesn't mean he is cheating. Enough of that. Uh, let's talk about what drive America, what keeps it going. I've got the answer. Two words, money and sex. Most men want sex. They need to make money to have sex. Most women want money. They need the money to feather their nesting instincts, to raise a comfortable family. A rich man is an, as attractive to a woman as a beautiful woman is to a man. That, in a nutshell, is my interpretation of the American economy. Can you dig it? 
because quite honestly, I don't. I don't dig it, and that's all I'm going to say. I don't? Yeah, I think that's another typo. Is did no someone editing, just retype this from another thing, or is this on actual Details Magazine website? I don't know. I, I'd like to imagine that it, it's... Just completely unedited. But um, I don't know. Can you, can you guys dig that? I can't. I don't. Can't do oh, I don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> on the road with Nicolas Cage, highway to... Okay, still in Cabazon. Um, How long were they in Cabazon? They went to see the dinosaurs. Um, just stayed the, for a while. The next, the next couple of entries, the next three entries are still in Cabazon. <laughs> so they're really seeing America. There are monsters on the horizon. A giant green Tyrannosaurus. As a child, I had seen the life-size model dinosaurs standing alone in the California desert with tumbleweed and sand, but I had never been inside one. There's supposed to, there's, there's supposed some kind of museum in the brontosaurus, I said to Jeff. Let's check it out. Inside the belly of the beast was a collection of stuff, little of which had to do with paleontology. There was a gun display, a tortoise mandolin, and a little puppet theater. Tortoise mandolin? Those, those <laughs> things aren't there now. It's all just no, like Christian that, propaganda. I wish that they were. Big scary monsters outside, shy childlike soul inside. Was this symbolic of America's political theatrics? Probably not. I was noticing a statue of a Cro-Magnon man that looked a hell of a lot like Lloyd Bridges when I met Denny. Denny runs the museum and sells souvenirs. He's got... <laughs> Dude, stop. That Lloyd Bridges line just murdered me. <laughs> uh, he's got a day's growth of white beard, and I imagine that he's had a few drinks considering the red hue of his face and the beaten look in his eyes. Dude, imagine this poor guy reading Details Magazine, reading what Nick, <laughs> Nick, this fucking actor who just came to look at his like life's work and was just like, these desert folks, these, these poor, poor, poor. Well, Mr. Bell, the man that built this dinosaur, I married one of his daughters, so he offered me a job. This is my favorite place, the old tortoise mandolin. Oh, I'm sorry. This is my. <laughs> This is my favorite piece, the old tortoise mandolin, over a hundred years old, and that's your ball and chain there. People complain that in Georgia and North Carolina, they still use the ball and chain. I got a lot of Marines coming through here. They were gung-ho on fighting for Kuwait. It worked differently, completely different than Vietnam. I've got a lot of friends that served in Nam. They're crazy, a mental thing they never got rid of. I have a friend. His dream is to get on top of the Landmark Hotel and shoot everybody on the sidewalk. I call him Sarge. I believe violence is usually the result of an earlier injustice. Sarge's violence is probably the consequence of being spat on for not doing his job properly in Vietnam. This is Nick Cage talking now. Uh, possibly one day he will show America what an efficient soldier he is and blow away a few kids in a schoolyard with an M16. <laughs> probably be put on death row and executed for a crime that began with America's assault on him. I do not believe in the death penalty. I believe America is responsible for its own and should spend serious money on rehabilitation. The parents, not the child, are the guilty party. Okay, we'll read a couple more entries of this. Still in Cabazon, this is 4.25 p.m. Jesus. They just went there. Dude, and go get back out of Cabazon, night. man. You haven't even, you're not even in the desert yet. No. I'm feeling pretty good right now. Kind of invincible. Like I'm in invincible. That was my bad. <laughs> kind of invincible. Like I'm in an armored car and I could just handle it. 
I could even take on Bruce Lee. Did you know Bruce Lee and Jimi Hendrix went to high school together? I punched Jimi Hendrix final. Can we com- fact check that? <laughs> Did they go to Hollywood High? They, I, they must have. <laughs> I punched Jimi Hendrix's final concert into the cassette deck. Jimi Hendrix, the father of Prince and Lenny Kravitz. De- okay, that's definitely not true. <laughs> so <weird. laughs> The literal father the, of Prince and Lenny Kravitz. The Z, uh, okay, also Lenny Kravitz being put on in the same <laughs> sentence. What, as, not even Phil Line. But dude, you forget this is 92. Yeah. When like, Lenny Kravitz was a going concern. Yeah. Are you going to go my way? <laughs> the zenith of psychedelic blues. The master of aftertaste. <laughs> the first time I heard him, I thought it was a wall of noise. Then I would play it again and find a secret. Something new every time. One melody high above the distortion, then another and another. I thought I was the only person who was in on this secret. Nope. It was our secret, mine and Jimmy's. This is greatness, to make a connection with someone you've never met. We drove past a bar with fluorescent colored lights and decided to pull over. There... Still in Cabazon. Still in Cabazon. Cabazon, by the way, is not even like a town. Yeah, it's like it's a gas station. <laughs> they get like half a mile and then they just get distracted and pull over again. They're like, oh, a bar. It's like not even five o'clock. Um, the bar was called Gabby's and it was advertising a tribute to the doors. Good Christ. <laughs> we walked into a starburst explosion. I was spotted left and right. It turned into a blur for me and I went into tunnel vision. This is something I do when I know there will be a lot of people asking me questions. The only way to get through the night of talking about yourself without getting irate is to mentally brace for it. Fame is not normal, and it is not always fun. (laughs) This was a shit-kicker bar. Jeff was growing nervous about one guy who kept shouting how ugly I was. (laughs) The owner of Gabby's asked me if I would give her my jacket, my purple velvet jacket. I loved that jacket. This is my purple velvet jacket. Because I love purple. I am purple. I have become that color in recent years. She had given us t-shirts and free drinks. I gave it to her. They all seemed genuinely happy that we were there. The troops coming home is a big event in the desert. The local women have been taking their shirts off and showing the soldiers their tits. And the men have been giving them cases of beer. I, oh, sorry. Is this an American phenomenon? Okay, American is in quotes for some reason. Is this a quote, American phenomenon, or does it happen everywhere? I think most men admire tits. Therefore, the craving is international. (laughs) The craving. (laughs) However, the display, I would imagine, is strictly American. I met an older guy named Andrew Taylor. He was taking shots, chasing them with beer. He had a warm laugh and a smile that disarmed me instantly. He told me he was an artist and had painted all the fluorescent signs in the club. Painted Painted all all the the fluorescent fluorescent signs. signs. All right, here's this is the last entry I'll read today. Still in Cabazon. It's five (laughs) p.m. I don't know why this is. uh, You gotta read an installment every episode now. I I don't know why this is a a a different installment because uh, this is just a continuation of the last paragraph. Andy was a kind of guy who could go anywhere and not get hurt. Anybody who started shit with him would walk away finally, but not because Andy looked tough. He had the innocence of an old relic. There would, there would be no point in hurting him. Andy didn't have a car, so Jeff and I gave him a ride back to his house, small mobile home with low ceilings covered with souvenirs and miniatures. He had a mechanical bird in a, gild, in a gilded 
that wouldn't chirp. A gilded cage, maybe? And a cat named Red Dog. <laughs> the place smelled of burnt eggs. We sat and he showed me his portfolio. His stuff had a certain signature. There was a painting of an apple sliced open to reveal a target with an arrow hitting a bullseye. The painting was surreal, like Magritte. I drew that because my girlfriend at the time got me in the butt with an arrow. The bitch could really shoot. Why'd she do that? Because I was doing her dog and pony show, he said. I lit up a cigarette and so did Andy. You mean she wanted you to perform for her, I asked? Yeah, she decided you have to do this and that, and I decided I wouldn't, so she took a fucking bow to me, damn near shot my butt off. I didn't want to pry, but had to ask. This, this and that, was it sex? Yeah, she was off on, in her own deal. She was a latent, murderous bitch. Did she ever kill anybody, I asked? I know she fucked people up. Do you like living in Joshua Tree, or do you just want to get out of here? Oh, he's in Joshua Tree now? Well, he's in Cabazon, it says, but I, don't, I guess it's the same thing to him. His voice went down to a low whisper. I, I painted myself out of town. The signs you see, 90% of them are mine. It's time to go. We thanked Andy for inviting us over. You'd better watch yourself when you're going through Texas, he said. Back in the 70s, I almost got shot twice. I knew we would be leaving California tomorrow, and Andy's words bothered me. Originally, I wanted to pick up hitchhikers, but everybody at home warned me not to. <laughs> if you pick up hitchhikers, you better take a gun, a friend told me. But I didn't bring a gun. I didn't own one. It was just the road and us. <laughs> Next time on Heat Seeking Panther... Kingman, Arizona. Oh, man. <laughs> That's a big jump from Cabazon to, to Kingman, Arizona. Yeah, after yeah. like five entries in Cabazon. Right. Um, wow. So uh, thoughts? Thoughts on that? I debate that it ever actually happened. I think it was Nick Cage writing a very elaborate fiction I, about what he wished he was doing. Yeah. Just sitting in the passenger seat of the car as they're going down the 10, like imagining what America is. Yeah. <laughs> and all those characters. Who... Somebody, is, I, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical that this guy's girlfriend shot, almost shot his butt off with a bow and arrow. Because he wouldn't do her dog and pony show. Because he was doing dog and pony show because he was having sex, and she was also having sex with people. Oh, I didn't. That was not clear to me. Yeah, this suffers from some of the same problems that the Deadfall <laughs> script does. Runs I think. in the family. Well, you know. I, America's not clear, guys. There's um All right. <laughs> so have you guys listened to the doors lately? Yeah, I the everything about Jimi Hendrix I the, recommend reading some deep uh, poetry Jimi Hendrix is the father of uh Prince, Prince and, and Lenny, Lenny Kravitz. Kravitz. God, Nicolas Cage sounds like such an obnoxious person to hang out with. I know at, he sounds 20, like such a douchebag. Twenty seven year old Nicolas Cage sounds really fucking insufferable. Yeah. Um, and yet my love for him is not diminished. No, we it's either. only increased. I almost love him more. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, all the stuff about we, women and so, like, yeah, it's just he sounds like such a child. Uh, anyway, uh, that was this episode of Heat Seeking Panther. Uh, As always, follow us on Deadfall, Instagram. Instagram. Recommend it. Recommend it if you haven't seen it. Yeah, you should At definitely get yourself Panther. a VHS copy. Yeah, for sure. Make sure it's a VHS copy that's really washed out and yeah. fucked up, and the soundtrack keeps fluttering. Yeah, like, yeah. much like when we watch Time, Time to, to Kill, kill. Yeah. especially because the previews are A+. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. At Heat Seeking Panther, Heat Seeking Panther at gmail.com. 
And um, if you are one of the other Nicolas Cage podcasts uh, that are also yeah one of the like seventy other ones out there, uh, please get a hold of us. Uh, we'd like to do a crossover episode. Yeah, or just fight you, just start um, beef, have a rumble. If and if you're Weston Cage, um, get in touch with us. We we want to talk to you. Yeah, <laughs> seems like a, <laughs> it's, a, it's an awkward note to end it on. But um, thanks everybody. Bye. Bye. that I really want to do that um, is I just want to get Weston Cage on this show. I like if if we can do that, if we can interview Weston Cage, I will feel like this has all been the, a success. Where is he? Does he live in Palmdale or something? I feel like he's in he's in L.A. He's probably in L.A. He's trying. He's acting. Oh, Weston, if you're listening, please, Weston. <laughs> Heatseekingpanther yeah. at gmail.com. We'll be yeah. waiting. We'll be waiting for your correspondence. I, we'll Eagerly. Come to the Panther Den. Um, <laughs> well, okay. No, we should actually, we should host a live episode at Weston Cage's house. That's, That's what I, we should do. Yeah, I've been brainstorming this, man. I, I want to, I'll go to him. Would I'll, he be down? Can we meet him at Cantor's or something? I mean, can I come? Yes. <laughs> yeah. He, he, I think he would be down um, if we can frame it right. Because I don't. I, I just want to get it. I if, don't know what he would respond to the most. I, we should talk about whatever movie Weston's working on right now. Yeah. And, uh, and then just talk to him about uh, growing up Cage. I mean, honestly, I would, I would like to watch a, a, Weston, a Weston Cage, Cage film. Like, yeah. I, like, oh, yeah. I'm, I would be legitimately interested in seeing that film. Agreed. All right. So that's, that's my goal.